Hi, this is Nicole Roberts-Jones, and welcome to the Faith, Purpose, Profit, what I like to call the FPP podcast. What I know for sure is that one of life's greatest gifts will meet you when you go after living as the highest and best version of who God created you to be. So here's where I share thought-provoking insight and behind-the-curtain conversations that will activate you into your next level. See, I'm not here for who you already are, but for who you have not yet become. And I want you to get this. One idea from these episodes can make a remarkable difference, not just in your purpose-focused business, but in your life. Also, make sure you join the conversation in our Facebook group. Go to thebrilliancetribe.com. Now grab your pen as we begin today's session of the Faith Purpose Profit Podcast. Our conversation for tonight is, will you crush your giant? Will you? Will you crush your giant? So last week I started a conversation. This is the other end of that conversation. And I started sharing with you about David, as I talked to you last week about don't believe the hype. So if you missed it, go back and watch it. I'm not going to talk about what I said last week. But every week as I sit in quiet contemplation and ask out what should I pour into you, David came up again. And really, I wonder if you realize that God created you with a giant in mind that you and only you can crush. So what do I mean by that? Of course, you know, I'm talking David and Goliath, right? So let me back up and give you some context to our story, tell you a little bit about David. And before I do that, here's our foundational Bible verse to our conversation for today. It's 1 Samuel 17. If you see me looking down, I have my Bible verses written down, so I have to go through my Bible, right? <laughs> As I'm live with you. So 1 Samuel 17, 46, that says, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. This is David talking to the giant. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. See, God created David to crush that giant the same way that there is something out there waiting for you to be the answer to it. So give me a context to who David is before he got to this Goliath moment. So David was the youngest of eight brothers. He was a shepherd out in the field. The rest of his brothers, I don't know what they were doing. Hang, sitting up with their feet up, drinking fruity drinks, I don't know. But what happened is there came a time when the king that was meant to be ordained, meant to sit on the throne, God was like, "Mm -mm, that ain't him. It's not him. That's not meant for him. There's somebody else that I have in mind. So God sent Samuel to Jesse's house. He said he's in Jesse's house. Jesse was David's father. So when Samuel got to Jesse's house, again, David had eight brothers. So Samuel, uh, uh, Jesse brought his first son before Samuel. Samuel said, "Mm, no, that's not him. Second, "Mm, no, not him. Third, see, went all the way through the first seven brothers. And then Samuel said, but wait a minute, don't you have another son that's not here? And you can read the whole story in 1 Samuel um, 17. It's 16, his story starts at 16. It goes on and on throughout Samuel, right? 1 Samuel. So listen, Jesse then sends for David, who's out in the fields, tending to the sheep. He's a shepherd. Now, again, being a shepherd is a dirty job. He brings David in and Samuel says, oh my God, that's him. He's the one that is to be king. So he gets anointed and then sent back into the field. The thing I think is interesting is is what we don't realize is that when you are a shepherd, you're fighting lions. You're fighting wolves to keep your sheep safe. That's what a shepherd does. He watches his flock or sheep. And so when the, the giant came, now listen, think about it like this. 
this is the way I like to describe David and Goliath, because we've heard this story so much uh, since we were children. So David, I always like to say he was little like Webster. Y'all remember Webster? Don't make me feel old. <laughs> Google Webster if you need to. But imagine David was little like Webster. Some theologians say that he was 12 years old. Then there comes this big old giant. I always like to say the giant is like the rock times 10. Moment of silence for the rock with his fine self, right? <laughs> But imagine how big the rock already is. If he's the rock times 10, I'm talking about Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Y'all with me? So if he's bigger than the rock, he's huge, right? And so he is terrorizing the town. And listen, the army wouldn't fight him. The Navy wouldn't fight him. The Marines wouldn't fight him. Nobody, the police, nobody. They were like, mm, no, uh, uh, no, I'm not fighting him. And here comes David. I'll fight him. See, what you have to understand is number one, this is making sure you understand that there's a giant that you are meant to crush. Number one, see, God plants a seed in each of us at birth. And that seed gets activated as we grow or who we be. So David was meant to be a shepherd. He was born to be a shepherd. That shepherding equipped him to fight the giant. See, him being out in the shepherd fields equipped him. So fighting off a lion, I want y'all to realize, fight off a lion uh, is not an easy task. It sounds easy because I'm saying it out of my mouth, but imagine a real life lion, not Simba, not a lion that you know. Imagine if a lion is coming to eat one of your sheep and you're standing in between and you're fighting the lion to not eat your sheep. So him doing that, prepared him to be able to stand in the face of the giant. See, he was ready when the time came, but the thing about it is he was developed. There was already a seed planted in him that he watered out in that shepherd field. And see, the more time he spent in the field, so even when he got anointed to be king, he didn't say, well, I'm supposed to be king. He went back into the field and kept doing what he knew he was meant to do, which was to be a shepherd. And I believe him being a shepherd made him a great king because he took such great care of his sheep. So when the time came and all these people were afraid, David had already been a, a, in the front of a lion, in the face of a lion, he'd been in the face of a wolf. Just imagine all the things that could come. So a giant, I could do that. If I could fight a lion, I could fight a giant. I'm sure that's what David said to himself. So the thing that I think is interesting, even in my own journey, you know, when I think about who I've always been, you know, what's interesting to me is when we each are born, God gives each of us DNA, distinct natural ability. And God is not asking you and calling you to crush any giant that, that is in contradiction to who you already are. But the question is, have you developed it? So when I think about myself as an example, when my 40th birthday, some years ago, <laughs> my husband decided to do this roast, right? I was surprised, so he called my mom, and he and my mom were going through pictures of me. And what's interesting, my husband said, he told me this after the roast, because the pictures he used, every single picture of me when I'm little, I'm talking. Well, there's no coincidence that, what do I do for a living? I talk. When I was in elementary school, high school, I went to private school, every single day, those of you that went to private school, my name would be on that blackboard with all the checks for, guess what, talking too much. So every picture my husband looked at me growing up, three-year-old Nicole, four-year-old Nicole, five-year-old, he's like, dang, did you ever not talk? <laughs> no. 
And even beyond that, the same picture that my husband uh, really used and brought back to my memory, there's a picture I put in one of my books of me at three years old. God, I should have put it up here. Um, three years old, it, I'm pushing a baby carriage. Now, I'm talking in that picture, of course. But the other thing is I don't have a baby in that carriage. I have books and papers because I've always, always, always been a natural-born producer. When I worked in the entertainment industry, I was casting and talent management and producing because that's what I do with my clients now. I cast you in the right role for your gift. And we produce all the ways that people need the gift in you. Why am I talking about me? Because I want you to get that there's a seed already in you that all you've got to do is develop it. And when the time comes, when preparation meets opportunity, everything shifts. So then the next thing that happens, so number one, there's a seed in you that you've got to develop in order to crush your giant. I wonder if you realize that you are an answer that got put you down here as the answer. That's a giant. And that giant for some of you may seem hard. It may seem like it's not possible. It may seem like, oh my God. But guess what? If you think about Ephesians 3.20, no, yeah, 3.20, I will do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. So if God is going to do more than you can ask or think, he's going to do more with your gift, more in your life, more in your bank account. I can keep going on the more. So if it's bigger than what you can ask or think, it's going to cause a whole new level of you. And you've got to develop who you already are to get to that new level. Y'all get that? So listen, I believe that that giant that David crushed that day called Goliath prepared him to crush every giant as king. When there was division in the land, that was a giant he had to crush. When there was famine in the land, there was a giant he had to crush. Do I need to go on or are y'all getting my point? That wasn't the last giant that David crushed. So the second thing he had to grow the seed that God planted in him. The second thing he had to do was get strategy, right? Oh, wait a minute. I forgot to read the Bible verse that goes with the seed planting. I got so excited. So listen, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For you are youth, and he's a man of war. This is the first Samuel 17, 33-37. But David said back to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So he was true to who he knew God created him to be. He was true to what he knew he was meant to do. He looked right in the face of that giant and said, I'm going to trust God that I have everything I need to go after it. Which meant, number two, he had to be strategic. You know, what's interesting to me is I see so many people doing whatever, whenever, however. And you've got to understand, if you're not doing things in alignment with who God created you to be, it's not going to work. I don't care how good you are at it. I don't care how fine, I don't care how much money you spent to go to college. I don't care if you have a PhD. If it's not in alignment with what God created you to do or be, it will not work. Now listen, continuing with the same story. 1 Samuel 30, excuse me, 17, 38 through 39. 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 39. So, so after David said all that to Saul, like, you know, God's going to go, have my back when I go out there to fight. Here's what Saul did. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. So in other words, he gave him his whole armor to fight. So Saul was in the army. David's a little boy. Y'all with me? 
David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. See, what David realized is I can't use somebody else's tools. I got to use the tools that I know. I got to be clear to who I am and who God created me to be and understand that I have been developed for such a time as this. As I'm saying that, it makes me think of my, another of uh, my favorite people in the Bible, Miss Esther. I'll tell you Esther's story really quickly because this is so good. And as Johnny Cochran would say, if it doesn't fit, you must have quit. That's pretty much what David said. So it don't fit. Let me let it go. <laughs> right? Let me release this. This ain't, this ain't for me. Doesn't mean you are meant to fight. It means you're meant to fight in your own strength. So even Esther. So Esther, favorite, favorite person in the Bible. My girl, those of you that have been around me, you know I talk about Esther a lot. I feel like Esther was my role model, right? So listen, Esther was an orphan, a Jew. Back then, a Jew could never become queen, kind of like Michelle Obama becoming the first lady of the United States from south, south, from the south side of Chicago. I'm just going to say from south central L.A. No, Nicole, that's where you're from. <laughs> a little black girl from south, the south side of Chicago becoming the first lady of the United States. But she developed her craft. She developed herself, and so did Esther. So when her cousin Mordecai, who worked in the palace, heard that the king was looking for a new queen, I'm not going to go through the whole story, I'm going to tell you the quick cliff note version. The king started holding auditions, kind of like The Bachelor, right? Or The Bachelorette, or whatever you want to call it. Well, no, The Bachelor, because he started calling women from all over the land. And so what Mordecai did was change Esther's name from Hadassah to Esther. He took her Jewish name so the king wouldn't know she was a Jew. So she ran for queen and she won, to make a long story short. But listen. All she did was be who she already was. What made her stand out is she didn't try to be like any of the rest of those women. She was who she is. And she became queen. So then, as she became queen, Mordecai overhears the king's right-hand man, Haman, has a plot out to kill the Jews. And literally, Haman goes to Esther and says, oh my God, did you hear that your, your husband's homeboy is trying to kill, kill us? Your husband's homeboy is trying to kill all your people, girl. And so literally, when Mordecai says to her in that moment of time, I'm pulling up because I didn't know I was going to share this. He says, for if you remain, this is Esther 4, 14. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And many of you are staring in the face of your for such a time as this moment, but you want to sit in comfortable. You want to sit in good enough. You want to sit in mediocre. You want to sit in, oh, I don't know if it's time. And people are waiting for you. See, David could have chosen not to do it. But what he did was he got strategy. He, he, I believe he sat down, prayed, and God began to give him the strategy around the thing he knew how to do so well, which was a slingshot and a rock. It is from who he already was, what he already knew to do, that God used him to take down that giant and the rest is history. So you've got to be strategic. You can't do whatever, whenever, however. The first thing you've got to do is get clear on your DNA. I cannot say this enough. Those of you that are with me week after week, you probably hear me say this ad nauseum, but I'm going to tell you the number of people that start businesses that do not take time to get clear and they wonder why their business failed. Many of you are walking around on autopilot and you don't even realize what your brilliance is, let alone what it does, what your purpose is, because it's been with you. 
It's not something you you go and take a well, you do take a class, but it's something you discover and you got to develop. It just doesn't happen because it's there. You got to take the time to grow it. So number one, you got to understand what is the seed that was planted in you at birth. The second thing is you've got to get strategy around it. And all strategy ain't good strategy. Especially when people tell you to be a cookie cutter. Give, I'm going to give you the script. I want you to read it word for word. Well, that leaves out your secret sauce. What about the person that God created you to be? That thing that makes you who you are. Are there other people that do what you do? Yeah. But nobody does it like you. And the more time you spend getting clear on it, the more God can use you. To then go into point number three. So let me walk you through the first three. Number one, you got to get clear on what is the seed that got planted in you. What is the purpose that you have on this earth? And then once you get clear on the seed and then you come in to grow the seed, you've got to, number two, get strategy around it. Just doing whatever, whenever, however is not going to work. You've got to get strategy that's in alignment, not some cookie cutter from somebody else's DNA, but the strategy that is tailor-made for your own. I call that a blueprint. And then the last thing you got to do is do it afraid. You know, the thing that I love about David and even Esther's story is that David, do you think he wasn't scared to fight the Philistines? So what he thought a lion? Who's to say he wasn't scared every time a lion, a bear, a wolf, or whatever came for a sheep? But he was more committed to his people than he was his fear. He was more committed to crush the, crush the giant that was terrorizing all his people than he was his fear. My question to you was, well, are you more committed to be comfortable? Or are you going to go after your conviction? Because your comfort and your conviction can never coexist. Not if you're going to be all that God has purposed you to be. Not if you're going to go after your abundantly above all. Not if you're going to be the highest and best version who God created you to be. Are you going to have to do it afraid? Again, I said this earlier, if you're going to go after your abundantly above all you could ever ask or think, think about that, y'all. It's bigger than what you could ever think. You can't fathom it. You wouldn't even ask to do it or for it. So if it's bigger than anything you could even fathom, then it's going to scare you. <laughs> See, I believe God puts us in places so we have to trust him. That's why your ego, I talked about this last week, you cannot believe your own hype. Because your ego will have you feeling yourself, and when you feel yourself, you will fail. You know, last night I was watching the football game with my husband, the, um, let me make sure I say the right names of the teams, the St. Uh, Louis, uh, Patrick Mahomes, I know, the, I know the players, and the Cincinnati Bagels. And I'll tell you, my husband said the reason why Patrick Mahomes did not do well is he was feeling himself. He said, oh, he could have done so much better, but he thought he had it in the bag because they started and they were, those of you that watched, they, they were way out front in their score. And so they started thinking, oh, I got this, but they didn't have it. So when you remain humble and you do the work that your purpose is doing, you allow yourself to develop fully and completely. It's like taking that turkey out on Thanksgiving that's not ready yet. And it's pink on the inside and everybody's sitting around the table with their knives and forks out hungry. And you're going to put it back in the oven. Ugh, sorry, y'all. Might be a couple more hours. Who wants to say that to their family on Thanksgiving? I know I don't. <laughs> and so that is why this conversation is so important. Will you crush your giant? Will you be the highest and best version of who God created you to be? Will you stand in the gap for the people that were waiting for you like Esther? Esther had to choose. Listen, she said, if I perish, I perish. She, if I die, I die. 
And what Esther did next is she got strategy. She said, listen, Mordecai, you go call all your people, all my people, you guys go pray. I'm going to pray with my handmaidens. And she prayed. And she prayed. And she prayed until she got strategy. And then even when she got strategy, she was really, really slow with it. She didn't rush it. She did the exact thing that she knew to do in the face of fear. Because she still, even though she knew, okay, this is God's calling me to do. God never said, I'm not going to let you die. Now, see, we don't live in those kind of times, so God don't put us in places that we might die. But sometimes when you are going up against something that's so scary, failure is imminent. And you're afraid to fail. And God will never let you fail. Never. But do you trust him enough to be the parachute that will catch you when you feel like you're falling? We're going to stop here and take a quick commercial break and we'll be back for more. Is 2022 the year you start or grow your purpose-focused business alongside your nine to five? Is 2022 your year of more? Would you get the motivation and inspiration you need by hearing from other successful people who have said yes and gone after their next level? Hi, I'm Nicole Roberts-Jones, and I'm inviting you to join me for Power in Your Pivot Week. Join us to hear from eight phenomenally successful people, plus me, to give you insight, to help you show up powerfully and pivot into your next level. Listen, we're not coming for who you already are, but for whom you have not yet become only if 2022 is your year of more only if 2022 is your year of increase then join us as we support you and hold the space for you to go and get it starting on monday february 7th and each night that week monday through friday at 8 p.m est join us by registering at powerinyourpivot.com as we dig deeper into this conversation, I want to read Romans 12, 2 to you that says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And actually the new the NIV version says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. See, ultimately, God brought you to earth and placed the DNA he placed in you. And by the way, just a reminder, anytime I say DNA, I'm talking distinct natural ability. See, he placed that DNA in you at this particular time in history as an answer to a problem. See, that's why your presence is needed and it has purpose attached to it. And so every day, every moment you're hesitant or not moving that DNA into serving the people that need you, you have to know that you are holding up somebody's answered prayer. And that's why I absolutely love David as our example. We've talked about David last week. And we're continuing the conversation this week. See, David's being a shepherd prepared him for that moment in the face of Goliath. See, in order for David to really stand in the gap for his people, and that's what he did when he faced Goliath and won. <laughs> so listen, he had to look past the armor that the army said he should wear. He had to look past his anointing to be king. You know, the, he, that hype, because I don't know about you all, but if someone would have said to me on Monday, you're going to be king. A queen, excuse me. <laughs> I, I think I might feel myself a little bit. <laughs> be hard not to, right? So he had to look past the fact that he was anointed to be king, but yet he was still a shepherd. He had to look past all the talk and what people thought about him. He had to renew his mind into who he knew himself to be. See, David was clear. He did not conform to what the world said he should do or be. So what he did in that moment is David bet on himself. 
and I really need you guys to get this. So what David did, he used his DNA, his distinct natural ability to go in and fight Goliath. David knew he was gifted with his slingshot. Now you got to know that I'm sure folks thought David was crazy. They probably thought you're going to go in there with no armor. You're going to fight with no sword and you're going to use that little baby slingshot. <laughs> but David not only knew he must use his slingshot because he had to use it to protect his father's sheep. He also knew what he could do under the guidance of God, falling under God's mission. But he didn't go in and fight any old kind of way. See, I believe that David got strategic. You guys have heard me say this, those of you that have been here with me week after week, that we call ourselves human beings, but we're not. We're human doings. Because we get so into do, 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 I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, that we forget to stop and be. You know, being a shepherd in that field, oh, David had a lot of time to be. He had a lot of time to be in prayer. He had a lot of time to sit and worship with God. He had a lot of time of being. And I believe he used his being time wisely. <laughs> and because of that, he was able to strategically use his gift for the benefit of the kingdom. And each of us have the same opportunity right now. And I'd be, I, I, I wouldn't be a good virtual coach if I didn't stop and acknowledge that David went in with a plan. So to make a long story short, David put a rock in his slingshot. And one of those rocks hit Goliath directly in the middle of his eyes. That rock hit the giant directly in his forehead. And David then picked up a sword and used it to, to finalize the act, right? So pretty much David took Goliath down. And I hope you realize that Goliath... Or I should say that the Goliath you've been created to take down only falls when you get strategic, show up and believe your DNA is enough. That is why we are having this conversation. I'm going to say that one more time. Your DNA literally only gets activated when you believe it's enough. And you really only hit the Goliath that you're meant to crush and kill it. When you get strategic, you show up and believe that the DNA in you is enough. So what made David such a great shepherd? I was reading uh, last year. I had a conversation about shepherding and I found in my research the four responsibilities of a shepherd. I think we take for granted in this day and age because I, I don't think I see shepherds outside anymore. Maybe because I don't live anywhere near sheep <laughs> or anywhere near a farm. But that's not true. I do live near farms. But the farms I live near have horses and cows. I have not seen sheep. So the four responsibilities of a shepherd. You've got to know the sheep. You've got to feed the sheep. You've got to lead the sheep and you've got to protect the sheep. Again, no feed, lead and protect. So my question to you is, who are your sheep? <laughs> I say this all the time. You're not everybody's answer, but you are somebody's answer. So number one, know your sheep. Do you know who your ideal client is? Do you? And those of you that say, I serve every woman. That means you don't. I serve every professional woman. You don't. Do you know who your sheep is? is do you understand the target segment of the population that is assigned to you as the shepherd number one do you feed them or better yet do you know what makes them hungry so the hunger is their need see people are hungry to get their needs answered and regardless of what it is you do, if you're a lawyer, people need legal advice. And when you hold up someone's answered prayer because you can only give them billable hours and you haven't figured out another way to serve them, yeah, you're not feeding your sheep. 
How do you take your gift and look at all the ways that you can be the answer and kill that hunger? Number two, or excuse me, that was number two. Number three, do you know how to lead your sheep? And leading them is coaching them because you want to get them from where they are to the result that they greatly desire. That's leading them. Do you have a step-by-step strategy you work through? I hear so from so many high school professionals that I'm blessed to coach and teach that do whatever, whenever, however. And sometimes there are things they do, well, not sometimes, most times, that you didn't even realize that you're doing it. So you're leading people astray. Ooh, yeah, I said it. When you don't have a strategic way you're working with people, you're leading people astray. And then you're leading your gift astray and you're making up that is hard and it's not. It's that you haven't taken time to create a, a strategy, a methodology. So sometimes you're leading people to nowhere. Ooh, yeah, I said it. I remember once a man uh, tried to hire me to coach him and he told me he wanted to get to happy. I think I may have talked about this example last week. And, um, and he was like fighting, <laughs> fighting to coach with me. And I said, sir, with all due respect, if, if I ask you to meet me for lunch and I don't tell you where I'm going to be, how do you, how do you find me? So I can't get you to a place that you can't speak to what you want. So the same as a coach, if you can't speak to the predictable result that you create when you work with people and empowerment is not predictable, motivating people is not a result. That's something that happens as you're doing the work, but that's not a result. Motivation doesn't make me lose weight. It's me doing the activation that makes me lose weight. Y'all get that? I do need to be motivated, I will say. <laughs> but that's not it. That's not the result. Motivation. I could be motivated to lose weight and never do a thing. Come on, somebody. That's me most mornings because I got to work out after I finish this. <laughs> Let me keep myself motivated, right? So again, do you know your sheep? Do you feed your sheep? Do you lead your sheep? And last, do you protect them? Now, listen, I'm going to say this again and again. You were born to crush a giant. So when you're fruitful with the gift that God has given you and you stand in the gap for the people that need you, you're protecting them. So think about it. I'm going to use lawyer again for an example. If you're a lawyer and you're a divorce lawyer and you only have one way to work with people and they cannot afford your billable hours, you're not protecting them because you're saying, sorry, I can't help you. So you're leaving them out to figure it out on their own and maybe they'll never get a divorce or maybe they'll mess up and lose the custody of their children because they didn't know how to do that piece the right way. Or maybe you have this gift of you're a, a, a trainer, you're a health trainer and you only know one way to work with people. And what if I don't want to join a gym or what if I don't like that particular way and you have a whole other methodology, but you're not using it. You're not protecting the people that need you because somebody might have health issues that the way that you do what you do will shift everything. Or maybe, and I'm going to use my meaty as an example, because I see you here this morning, meaty who, and I know you don't mind me using this, who is a phenomenal nurse on the DC nursing board has all these healthcare systems calling her now. Well, you don't take the time to take a, create a methodology. Well, she has healthcare systems and other nurses calling her. Let me keep it all the way real. What you're not doing is you're not protecting the people that need you because you're, you're being selfish with your gift. Now, this is not me. She's not being selfish. I'm just using her gift as an example. You're being selfish with your gift and you don't figure out how can you protect them? Meaning, how can you be the answer? How can you stand in the gap for them? That's, there's a difference between knowing they're hungry and realizing the hunger and cooking up the meal to then serving the meal. The serving of the meal is the protection. And I, I need y'all to get this and really understand what does protection mean? The word protection itself, because you know I looked it up, y'all, means supervision or support of one that is smaller or weaker. See, you have a gift and the person has a weakness where you're strong, 
Will you use your strength to pull them forward? Or another definition for protect is to save someone from loss. Think about the benefit people get when they work with you because you help their business or you help their career or you help their life move forward. See, that is protection. And David was clear. David was uncompromising and he was ambitious. Now, I read this and I have to say this. A few years ago, I read in a devotional I was reading and I wrote it down because it's so critical. It shared that nowhere in the Bible is ambition condemned. Now, selfish ambition is certainly warned against, but ambition for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of God's glory is not only commended, it's celebrated. It's a required asset for anyone wanting to be the answer they were born to be in this world. I want you to think about anybody you greatly admire. People like maybe Noah, I'm going to use the Bible examples first, who built the ark, or Solomon who built the temple, or Esther who said yes to become queen and then she too had to stand in the gap for her people. See, it required all of them, including David, it required all of them to be ambitious. And David's ambition is what say yes to fight Goliath. Now I know some of y'all are saying, why is this so important and why are you going all the way in on this? Because for many of you, when you think of how you use your DNA, your distinct natural ability and service to others, you may start feeling scrawny like David. See, you've been trying to master your significance to feel necessary. You may even be looking at the sea of other people that do what you do and you be, may be saying things to yourself like, how is my gift going to help make a difference? How am I going to move them forward? And maybe you start comparing yourself to other people. See, if David stopped, and even looked and compared himself to the size of the warriors that were in the army. Because remember, David was a little boy, y'all. And the army wouldn't fight the, the Goliath. So if he would have looked at all these big army people and said to himself, mm, well, they won't fight him. He could have easily not felt capable. He could have easily talked himself out of it. Instead, what I love about this story about David is that he realized that the triumph that he could bring for his community was more important than his fear. And for some of you, you've had this rumble inside of you for years to do more or be more, to expand your DNA, to serve more people or to start a business altogether. But you've been so busy looking at your giant instead of focusing on the difference you can make for every person that needs you. Matter of fact, for every person that is waiting for that gift inside of you. The question is, do you know who needs you and in what way you're needed? So let me end with this. It's not about you. <laughs> you know, one of the stories I love to use is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, if I'm saying that right. The whole passage is Matthew 26, 36 through 46. But I'm only going to read Matthew 26, 39 right now. When Jesus said to God, now mind you, he went to the garden right before he was to go to the cross, which was the giant that Jesus had to bear. He said, oh my God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, I want you to really think about this. Jesus was like, oh my God, this is too hard. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can bear this. I don't know if I can stand in the gap that I'm called to stand in. So Jesus, just like all of us, got to a moment where his flesh was taken over like, oh Lord, I can't do this. But then he realized, you know what? It's not about me. When he says, nevertheless, not as I will, your will be done, Lord. Are you willing to do that? Is there a people waiting for you? 
Again, I want you to realize and recognize that we each get to our own for such a time as this moment, which is a play on Esther. It's a Bible verse. <laughs> Matter of fact, we've witnessed so many in our own lifetime. So I gave you a couple of Bible um, examples as we are now in Black History Month. Let me give you a couple of what I would call Black History examples. People like Rosa Parks. Do you think that when Rosa got off work that day <laughs> and sat on that bus tire, do you think that she realized that she was getting ready to confront a giant? But he, what she did and her tired determination is she began a whole movement and she didn't shy from it. She didn't run from it. She licked it head on and ran right into it. Or, her, or how about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> and the launch of the civil rights movement? Now, you know, what's interesting is many people do not realize that when Dr. King got appointed, first of all, he was a newly appointed pastor had just gotten married. He got invited to a meeting. And on top of all that, he was only 24 years old, y'all, 24. What were you doing at 24? Do you think when he went to that meeting at 24 years old, he thought he would be elected as the president of the Montgomery Improvement Association? That election is what lit the fire to the civil rights movement. You think Dr. King wasn't scared? He was 24, y'all. But he was willing to take on the giant or even I could even use Oprah for an example. Who would be a modern day history maker? Listen, when she was a reporter in Baltimore making only 22,000 a year, when she got fired from her first employee, I mean, a reporter job, y'all. Do you think she thought she'd one day own own network? Or my last example, President Barack Obama, our first African-American president of the United States. Do you think when he was working as a community organizer on the south side of Chicago that he knew that his grassroots work in the community <laughs> would translate to him becoming the first African-American president of the United States? See, I can go on and on, but I really want you to understand this. All those I share with you and countless other people you admire, what happened is when they took their DNA, their distinct natural ability, and became committed to be the answer to a group of people who needed that gift in them the same way that you had that same opportunity. See, David shows up, President Obama shows up, us, and Oprah shows us, and Rosa Parks shows us, and, and Dr. King shows us, and Noah shows us, and Esther shows us, and David, and Moses, and several examples in the Bible, and ultimately Jesus shows us what it looks like when you're willing and committed to do whatever it takes to stand in the gap for the people that need you, that you do it strategically and under God's direction. So I'm going to open up our conversation for today. So I got all into it, right? The question is, do you know who needs you and in what way you're needed? And will you do what it takes to be it and do it? Now, as we open up our conversation, if you have questions, if you need support in this, this is what I want to talk about this morning. So first, we're going to hear from Yolanda, if you feel led to share. And then raise your hand. I want to open up the line so we can hear from you. Good morning, Yolanda. Go Good ahead. morning. My name is Yolanda Churchwell, and I help women entrepreneurs take the hassle out of their hustle so that they can make more money and have more free time. Um, Nicole, there was just so many things that you shed light on it. I'm over here just writing. I'm going to have to rewrite these notes. I was writing so fast. But I'm going to start with, you read Romans 12, 2, and I'm going to take you to the God's Word version. It says, don't become like the people of this world. Instead, change the way you think. Then you will always be able to determine what God really wants, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Um, and then I was thinking about, I was watching something this morning, and they were saying that the key is to being persistent. 
um, basically you, you laid out the four responsibilities of a shepherd. And we all know that knowledge is power, but that power has to be activated. And so once you get clear on number one, knowing your sheep, then you're activated to be able to feed, lead, and protect your sheep. Um, and so if you look at, um, I think it's Luke chapter 18 verses 1 to 8, there's a lady who goes to a, a judge, a judge who does not believe in God and who don't like people. But because that woman keeps coming before him, he says, you know what? She going to keep coming. I might as well go in and give her what she wants. That's all God is asking of us. Once you've become clear, once you know what it is you want, get committed to it and be persistent. Keep fighting for what it is that you want. God gave us, he promised us things. He never said the process was going to be easy. James Cleveland said, I don't feel no waste. Nobody told me the road would be easy. The road is not going to be easy. And I use my sister as an example. She's fighting cancer. Yeah, chemo ain't fun. Radiation ain't fun. But knowing that God going to heal her, we're going to walk through the rest of this as a family. We're going to stay persistent until we get to the goal. That's how you have to be about your gift. And then finally, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a come with my black person. And I'm going to say Cicely Tyson. I just read her book. And she decided up front early in her career what role she would not take. And once she made that decision, she was persistent in making sure she did not take those throughout the rest of her life. So good. So good. The one thing when she, again, you know, we, we say, we both say things that spark each other. So one of the things that you said, Yolanda, is change the way you think, renewing your mind. You know, God does not want more of what's already here. He brought you here to be a differentiator. I need y'all to get this. So when you're trying to be like someone else, when you're being a cookie cutter, a second rate version of somebody else, instead of being the first rate version of you, you're already telling God that he was not or he did not do a good job when he made you. And so in order to grow it, and I'm going to talk more about this next week, in order to grow it, you've got to know that it's not going to be easy. You know, anytime you do anything that takes you to the next level, it's not easy. So I'm in this health kick. I've been in it for a couple of years because I'm 52 and my body has shifted. I'm going to keep it all the way real in ways that I never knew was even possible. So the ways that I have to work out now is not the ways I worked out in my 40s, which I hadn't got used to. The ways I worked out in my 30s and the ways I didn't work out in my 20s because I ate what I wanted and never gained a pound in my 20s. That's a whole nother conversation. I wish I knew then what I know now, right? I had this whole conversation with my 24-year-old niece over the holidays. Baby, you better get ready because 50's coming. And she just looked at me like I was crazy. But the point I'm making is this. The stuff I'm doing now is uncomfortable. The stuff I'm doing now, I've had to change the entire way I look at what, how I eat. I've had to change because here's the other thing. I don't want to give up enjoying my food. I don't want to give up not eating certain things. I just have to do it in a different way. Well, in the same way, when you're renewing your mind, you've got to shift who you were yesterday to move into tomorrow. Whole new learning. Not just around eating, but every way you think, move, and have your being. Only if you want to go after your next level. So with that, good morning, Chandra. Hope I said your name right. Good morning. Good morning. It's Shonda. No R, but they always put that in there, so I'm used to it. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And so... Oh, goodness, I have a dog here who wants to talk as well. But as, as you were sharing this morning, and hello to uh, Prophet Nicole as well. So, I um, mean, all the ladies that are in the room, um, you know, I was just thinking about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I was listening to you. And it's just so important to really identify what solution 
we provide as it relates to those to those needs whether we're in ministry or in business and if we want you know looking at jesus as our example you know he was able to shift sorry y'all he was able to shift um the solution that he provided based on the need that the people had um, as he was, you know, going about. And so, um, and that's so important, I think, as leaders, as business owners, as ministry um, leaders, pastors, what have you, we have to make sure that we're meeting the need. And so I just want to say thank you for the confirmation um, of the conversation on today. And I yield my mic. Thank you. So good. You know, what's interesting is when I started to say yes to my gift, this is again in 1993. Those of you that haven't heard my story, I worked in the entertainment industry. But at seven, year old, seven years old, I was called. I didn't know how I was going to get to this. <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to do it. I'm sharing that with you because what I thought I needed was a master's degree in social work because I thought that I was going to be a counselor because this is me trying to define my purpose. But I'm going to sh- tell you that what happened is in the middle of that, what I learned as a social worker. So by the way, I'm one part Hollywood producer, <laughs> one part casting, one part social worker, and one part adjunct professor. That's all of what you get anytime you're around me, right? And a whole lot of Jesus, <laughs> that's what I always say. And, and I like ratchet music too, don't judge me. Anyway, so with that said, the thing I learned as a social worker is how to meet people where they are. Not where they're supposed to be, not where you want them to be, but where they are right now. And the more I learned that for myself, I started doing, God began to show me how that is exactly who Jesus was. You know, you very rarely, I'm not saying never, because one time somebody corrected me. I'm not saying Jesus was never in the church. I'm saying very rarely. You would always see him out with the people. He'd be out in the street. He'd be out at a, a, I'm going to say a festival, because that's what I would like to call it, right? He'd be out among the people. He would never come in and say, hello, I'm Jesus. Hello. He would not do that. Right? He would literally, he would literally come in and be amongst the people. So imagine what that looks like, y'all. Coming to a party, because you know that's the kind of girl I am. Coming to a party with a, with a cocktail. And I'm going to say a cocktail because if Jesus made water into wine, and wine is not a bad thing. It's when you do it in excess that is bad, okay? And my trainers told me that too. <laughs> anyway, the point I'm making is this. Jesus will be mingling with everyone else. And then someone might ask him a question, and then they go, oh, who are you? What, how did you do that? Then he might answer that and say, my father. So instead of you trying to act like you've arrived, like David got appointed and anointed to be king, but went back to be a shepherd. Jesus did the same thing. He came here anointed. He didn't have to get anointed. He came here anointed to be king of kings, Lord of lords, but still shepherd each of us. How can you humble yourself to meet the needs of the people that need you. How could you dare to look fear in the face and say, I know that you need me and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to grow my gift so I could be the answer I was born to be in this world. How could you push past everything else to do the thing you knew you were born to do to make it not about you? See, when Jesus got to the garden of Gethsemane, when he said, you know, not my cup or not, Hold on now, I lost my place in my Bible verse. Hold on, y'all. When he said, oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But then when he said, nevertheless, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, he was saying, it's not about me. He was saying, let me be who I need to be to shepherd and protect and know and lead and, and feed the sheep that you have put before me. And we each have that same mission. 
Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Faith Purpose Profit Podcast. Now I want you to walk away from these episodes with value. So I want you to write down the answers to one of these questions. Number one, what was your greatest takeaway? Number two, what will you do different as a result of what you heard? You may have heard something you've heard before, or you may have learned something new. Either way, don't take the insight that you got for granted. I want you to commit to doing one thing different as a result of what you heard. And then I want you to share it. Share your takeaways in our Facebook group. Go to thebrilliancetribe.com and use the hashtag FPP podcast. Now, the last thing I want to ask you to do, if you got any value out of this episode, is to share it with your community. Post it on social media. Tell people to join our conversation by going to fpppodcast.com. Now, until the next time, be extraordinary, be unapologetic, be bodaciously all that God created you to be as you connect your faith with purpose so that as you be the answer you were born to be in this world, God can give you the profit you deserve as a gift for a job well done.